Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to We Are History. I am Angela Barnes with a stinking cold. Oh, and I'm John O'Farrell with water in my eyes for another reason. Oh, Johnny's very sad this week. Yes. We're all very sad this week. You'll have heard us talk about our dogs and sometimes during recordings, my dog Tolly would have been barking in the background every time anyone walked past the front door. If a letter came through the letterbox, she could be replied to rip it to shreds. But poor Tolly was taken from us on Friday, age nearly 14. And God, Angela, it gets you. It gets you right Oh, I can't. Honestly, when you phoned me, John, it was so... She's such a... I mean, she's part of our podcast as well. We often hear... Tolly and Tina often pipe up on the podcast. Yeah. And, uh, God, you know, it's just, uh, it was very, very um, sudden and very sad. Um, and now you go down in the morning and there's no one howling or wagging her tail or running around so happy to see you. And uh, it's a big Jackie change. won't do that anymore, <laughs> she will she? Jackie's never done that. She never did that, <laughs> stretching her front legs down and howling and... <laughs> Beating you with a downward dog. She doesn't do yeah, it anymore. She's, she's, not anymore. Not when we are first going out, yeah. Mm. Um... So, I mean, oh. to that, let me think, how did humans get like this? How do we get so attached to creatures from a completely different species? Uh, because they are, they're members of the family, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I often think it's just because we don't have kids that we're the way we are with Tina, but it isn't. No, I've got, they, they're your family. And they actually are. what they do is they really bond the family together. So our two kids, mm. you know, uh, really were cut up as well. And they came around that night and we we're all together and... Um, They'd gone from being, you know, uh, teenagers to, you know, adults living elsewhere. And they were really loved coming home and Tolly would go mad for them when she saw them. And so uh, yeah. it was uh, very much part of their lives, you know, to have that dog and grow up with that dog. Absolutely. And I think that's part of it. It's the way that, that they greet you as well, isn't it? No other pet treats you the way a dog treats you and loves you the way a dog loves you. No, I have a goldfish in the pond in the garden, but it's not the same. They're rubbish, aren't they, goldfish? <laughs> goldfish yeah. no, there's no effect. So, so we thought this week, or you thought this week, John, yeah. would be a good topic to talk about the history of dogs and humans, yeah. how we got to this point. Yeah, how we domesticated them, what role yeah. they played in uh, in human history. Uh, my source for this was a book called First Friends, A History of Dogs and Humans by Catherine Rogers. That's actually an American book, but it was uh, took us all the way through. I uh, like how you say that was an American book, but, you know. No, right. what I mean is it's not easily available for you guys to get in your bookshops, is what I meant. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's really it's American, very... But it was all right. Uh, it's very well written for them. <laughs> Goodbye to half our listeners. We do have a lot of listeners in America. Hello, American listeners. We do. Hello, America. That sounded very British. Hello, Hello. This is London calling, London and Brighton calling America. (laughs) So there's probably, um, you know, detailed archaeological papers to be written on the origins of dog domestication. But in fact, they really know very little about how it first occurred. It's all supposition. You know, there's fossil records suggesting when and where. But the actual first Mm. contact and interaction, it's all supposition really they reckon it was about twenty thousand years ago because we have genetic research now as well as archaeological research but what happened we don't know so the presumption is that cavemen would have been sort of sitting around the fire you know typical night 
one of the cave women moves a log a bit and the man bristles at the interference and says, yeah, actually, I'm doing the barbecue. Yeah. Um, and then a wolf yeah. will be smelling yeah. the food, keeping its distance. One of the cavemen maybe throws a bone to the wolf and his wife said, oh, don't feed him from the table. And the caveman's like, I'm not. Anyway, tables haven't been invented yet. <laughs> and then the wolf comes back night after night, scrounging for scraps of meat. And before you know it, the wolf's on their bed, taking up most of the room, wearing a little knitted Christmas jumper. <laughs> and his wife saying, you spoil that wolf. So that's how it happened, we think. That's how that's it happened. Probably, no, it does. That's, that's the end of the exactly. episode. <laughs> and then the first wolf was crossed with a cocker spaniel to create a cocker wolf or maybe a poodle to create a wolfoodle. <laughs> oh, maybe that comes later. I cannot remember. <laughs> In fact, uh, the type of wolf from which all our domestic dogs are descended is now extinct in the wild. Um, so, yeah. Ah, so they don't know exactly where it began, except it must have been in the northern hemisphere because there's no wolves south of the equator. All right. But not in the far north because the wolves there were much bigger. Right. So probably the Near East, Southern Asia, um, although it may have happened in lots of different places at around the same time, give or take a millennium or two. Yeah, and then there's another whole separate sort of evolution, the northern or polar dog breeds that we know, like mm. the Spitz group, you know, like Huskies. Is that your Huskies and your... Yeah, um, yeah, Finnish Spitz, the... yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're a whole separate branch of evolution. They they helped humans live in freezing conditions, pulling sledges, hunting. Those, are, those dogs are actually today more like wolf than, say... Tina, the cockapoo, Angela. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're saying, John. I mean, Tina's not got a lot of wolf in her, if we're honest. Let's see. To be fair, she probably has got more Muppet in her than wolf, I think. <laughs> yes, I'm looking at her right now. She's uh, on the sofa on a pile of cushions like Princess of the Pea <laughs> with a with a crocheted blanket over the top of her because it's a bit chilly. So, hard, yeah, I wouldn't say she's a polar wolf. No. Hard, hard, hard to think of a, a, a pack of Tinas hunting down an elk. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, Tina would see an elk and would absolutely think she could take it down. Really? Oh, really? Still? She okay. couldn't. That's, that's impressive. She, she thinks that... she's a lot bigger than she is. Oh, bless her. They think that the uh, that a variant within that now extinct breed of wolf may have been less aggressive and more amenable to mixing with humans, and that the hunter-gatherers back then saw a benefit of accepting wolves on the margins of their encampments for, for, for alerting them to when you know, other predators were coming or just, you know... Yeah. But whenever sort of anthropologists or scientists talk about this period in human history, I like how they always talk as if early humans did everything for utterly rational and survivalist reasons. Like they never say that a couple of teenagers saw a baby wolf and went, oh, look at his little white paws. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, can we keep him, mum, can't we? Like there's always a rational reason. And yeah. yet, in, in, you know, every human being I've known yeah. is, acted irrationally Around more than rationally yeah 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 mum would be no dear the wolf is a savage pack animal it might turn yeah. on us and rip our face off well my friend's mum says there's no bad wolves only bad owners <laughs> yeah i mean there must have been a dangerous crossover period when wolves were hanging around the encampments and one caveman was in favor of encouraging the wolves and another thought it was too dangerous and then the wolf suddenly turned on him started ripping him to pieces and the wolf lover was going don't worry it's just being friendly because <laughs> at this point Humans are below wild dogs in the food chain, yeah. just like chimpanzees still are in Africa. We were a, a target for wolves and hyenas and jackals. And that's why wolves are so powerful in our folklore. Like Red Riding Hood wasn't in danger of being eaten by a granny's pet stick insect, was no, she? Quite. <laughs> no, but gradually, we presume, wolves became used to humans and vice versa, and they gradually became interdependent. 
Humans might have driven away the aggressive wolves and encouraged the tamer wolves, who might have then bred close to the human encampments, and gradually wolves evolved to become tamer, pliant, and basically more dog-like. Listeners might, some listeners might know about this, um, the work of Dmitry Bela, I can never say his name. Belayev. 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 I um I had to research him for a um a thing I was writing about um how uh looks it's about to do with how um people who are good looking are more favoured than people who aren't. Yes. And part of that is this idea of cuteness and how it's yes. developed in animals, um in some animals, not others. And so he had this thing where he bred these silver foxes in Siberia. Yes. And he, he bred them for he ran a fur farm. But um, but he combined this with a little experiment. So out of the 465 foxes he kept, <clears throat> I'll say that again, out of 465 foxes, he kept selecting the most amenable 10% of the foxes to breed. And then after 20 generations of foxes, he had this population of foxes that would seek out their keepers, clamber on them, roll over to get their tummies rubbed. So he wow. essentially, yeah. um, and they developed as well those drooping ears and the tails that turned up at the end like dogs do because uh, no wolves or fox tails curl like dog tails do right and they also started barking like dogs wow. so over this couple of decades he was doing that he sort of compressed this whole evolution that had taken place over thousands of years but with foxes wow that's amazing yeah so that's really basically what science it is really interesting and, and, and a, a, a incredible sort of a template for what scientists presumed happened in the transition from wolves to dogs and during this process, there was lots of interbreeding between domesticated dogs and wild wolves. It wasn't one mm. clean break. It kept going back and forth. But the fossil records shows dogs' jaws getting shorter, smaller teeth. And eventually the dogs that live with, you know, uh, primitive humans became more like the dingoes of Australia, they think. The, right. uh, one book I read said that breastfeeding mothers who had lost a baby might switch to breastfeeding a puppy, as they still do in some societies. Uh, do they jump? I'm not sure which societies they are. I don't think they're in Brighton. Well, actually, having said that, if it's going to happen anywhere, <laughs> be down there. In Brighton. I mean, it's bad enough putting <laughs> dogs in handbags and putting little hats on them, but breast, breastfeeding your Bichon Frise in Starbucks, that's going too far in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you want to support women's fight for the right to breastfeed in public. Someone has to take it a bit too far and start squirting their nipples towards the little trower. Oh, I mean, it puts you right off your katana, Angela. <laughs> oh, John, you're so... Old fashioned. And backwards, aren't I? This is such a yeah. pa the patriarchy. Why don't you oh, let your God. breastfeed your women can't puppy. even breastfeed their dogs anymore? <laughs> Jesus. Um, I suppose this sort of uh, interaction suggests that hunter gatherers were sufficiently close with their dogs that they were raising the puppies and bonding with them, and then training them. So there's a grave in Israel dating from uh, ten thousand BCE, a skeleton of an elderly woman who's been found with her hand on a puppy. Oh, oh. Poor puppy probably got chucked in the grave anyway, but we won't dwell on that. I was just going to say, like, poor live <laughs> yeah. puppies. Um, yeah. so, when, so when did wolves go from this cohabiting to being used for hunting and practical? That was on a Thursday. Uh, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, and it was um, suggested quietly by a caveman, and then the caveman said it louder, and everyone agreed he'd had a really good idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, it's good to know that it was ever thus. Um, so... How exactly do you hunt with a dog? Because humans weren't on horseback yet at this point, are they? So it's more a case of just 
letting the dogs do all the work and then at the end saying, right, I'll have that dead deer now. Thank you very much. And you can have the bones later. And then the dogs, go, the dogs go, thank you, thank you. I love you so much. <laughs> and the human's thinking, I think we might be onto something here. See, because uh, how this stage happened is weird, isn't it? Because at no yeah. point did the dogs go, fuck off, that's my dinner and I will <laughs> because, rip you apart if you come for it. <laughs> because wolves have this pack mentality and fierce loyalty to the leader of the uh, the pack. And that is uh, what they transferred onto humans. So all those uh, things that made wolves so effective in the wild also made them very suitable for uh, working for one human rather than one leader of the pack. Snaggler starts singing the Shangri-Las. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember, I haven't joked this, do you remember um, Judy and Clary did a version of that song? Leader of the was pack. it with Fanny the Wonder Dog? It might, might well have been, but do you remember? There was, I don't. I just remember. I remember there being a line in it, something like at school they all stop and stared, and then it's yeah, because you were thirty-five or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm sure I haven't dreamt that. Oh, no, it sounds very good. Google um, that later. <laughs> anyway. But um, how humans manage without dogs can be illustrated by the case of the Ongiz tribe uh, that lived in the Andaman Islands. They didn't acquire dogs until 1857. And prior to that, they lived on shellfish and fish until dogs gave them access to meat. And uh, one hunter with a pack of dogs, he could bring in like 75% of the meat. So that was really transformational for that uh, for those hunter-gatherers once they, yeah, we, we, not, we could observe them with dogs and without, you know? Wasn't, wasn't so good for the local livestock. Local wild pigs, they were like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Hang on, we yeah. were all coexisting quite happily here. You, What's you, going on? You used to be pescatarian. <laughs> yeah. So next step. It was about 10,000 years ago when humans began to domesticate other animals, goats, sheep. They waited 10,000 years because they were worried about making the dogs jealous, obviously. <laughs> Once humans domesticated sheep and goats, their dogs provided protection against predators. Dogs had better hearing, scent, more alert to danger. Uh, and then maybe one of the early herders accidentally shouted, come by. And that's when one man and his dog was invented. Or maybe his friend was called come by and he was calling to him. That's it. Maybe. Come by. Come by. And the dog come turned by. around. And then, oh, say that oh. again. Oh, that worked. <laughs> uh, in fact, the way that dogs herd animals and surround them and drive them in one direction and separate one individual out, that was something that wolves have been doing for millennia before humans saw that this could be useful with their herds for sheep. So it could be that without the domestication of dogs, the domestication of other animals might not have been possible, might not have yeah. happened. Yeah. And I then, mean, my, my Tina, yeah. who, as far as I know, doesn't have any sheepdog in her, herds us all the time. Oh, does she? That's really and sweet. Where we go, if we're walking with, even if it's just the three of us, me and my husband and the dog, she has to have, whoever's not got the end of the lead, so she knows that one of you's on the end of the yeah. lead, she can feel you. The other one has to be in her field of vision. Oh. So, so she, she can make you're sure there. you're not yeah. running off. Yeah. So and it's really awkward sometimes when you're like if there's a group if we go walking with friends or whatever she has to be where she can see everybody. Oh, it's really that's pretty protective. <laughs> Tolly would it's be lovely. at my feet when I was working or Jackie's feet when she was working. If we were both in, one upstairs, one downstairs, she would lie across the stair in the bottom so that she was halfway between both of us. You know, so that's, she does that here in yeah. when Matt's in the office and I'm in the living room yeah. working. She'll yeah. lie in the hallway between so she can keep an eye on both oh. of us. I see they're constantly yeah. sort of looking out for you. Oh, yeah. Um, but they, it's like it's their job. They feel very, yeah. you know, she sits, um, there's a little, our sofa is by the back door and she, that's, and she looks out over, we've got a balcony onto the main road and she sits there and it's like that's Garden. her job all day is Garden. to keep an eye out yeah, for yeah. who's coming past. 
Yeah, it's funny. So funny. It's like, relax. Relax, Tina. We've, yeah, chill. We've, we've all got right. Lots. We've got lots. And also, have you seen yourself, Tina? You look like <laughs> no, a puppet. No, one. you're not helping anyone. It's no no great Greek myth where the, the, the entrance to Troy was guarded by two great cockapoos. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, she's even tiny for a cockapoo. She's I not know. even a cockapoo-sized cockapoo. She's a mini cockapoo. Oh, bless her. <laughs> something very funny about that name. It's got the word cock and oh, poo in it, I think. As a yeah, comedy that's writer. what it is. I think I'm attracted that is to what the it name. Is. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, guarding definitely. is also guarding is something that dogs were then used for because when humans started growing things, they got their first allotment. Dogs could guard the crops from deer or mm. rabbits or whatever, uh, because and the humans became settled farmers, no longer hunter gatherers. Uh, although of course there was a long period when they were both, and we still are really. You can grow carrots in your back garden and gather blackberries from the railway embankment. Not actually mutually exclusive. Um, but yeah. yeah, once everyone was living on a farm, that, that changed things. Now, I'm just thinking about this problem when everyone started settling and living on, you know, on farmland, essentially. Yeah. Um, if you had to have your dog put down, would you have to tell the kids that Rex had just gone to live on a different farm? <laughs> yes. On, like, on he's gone to live farm. on a farm, but we live on a farm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, but he didn't like this farm. Yeah, he's very yeah, old. He wants to go on a smaller farm. farm. Started a change of scenery. <laughs> I, and also on the guarding thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. I've seen it a couple of times now. Guard geese. Have you seen? Oh yeah, yeah. We talked about that in one of the other podcasts. Did, oh, did we talk yeah, about it on the podcast? Yeah, Greenham Common. It... Yeah, yeah. They had the. That's there. right. Yeah. Because when I was, um, we were in, on holiday in Norfolk, and we walked past this building site, and it was being guarded by geese. Yeah. God. Yeah. Well, this could have been yeah. a whole different, a whole different evolution of ge- having geese before <laughs> dogs. Couldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> kind of hunting with geese. My, you know, my cocker g- goose. <laughs> guide, guide geese for the blind would have been completely different. <laughs> So anyway, now dogs anyway. are pretty well in every society and on every continent. They came with the humans who emigrated to North America from Siberia. Uh, they, you know, they travelled all the way down the American continent to South America, you know, taking their dogs with them. The first Australians who populated that continent took the dingoes with them. Dingoes obviously are not indigenous to Australia, which is why they're the only mammal there that is not a marsupial. Ah. Unless you yes. count the cast of Neighbours, of course. They're not marsupials either. <laughs> Are they not? <laughs> They're not, no. So, so the next step would be different dogs for different purposes. Hunting wild pigs, guarding against lions, carrying in your handbag for selfies on Instagram. And that's all to come. So this might be a good place to take a little break. We'll take a pause there while Angela takes Tina out for a wee and shoes away all the wild wolves hanging around for a few scraps. It's a real problem here, and I'm in a third floor flat, yet still they come. And also, I like the way you said we'll take a little pause. Oh, little very pause. good. Oh, see, this just a little, I just slip these little puns in, you don't even know. <laughs> I'll see you after this. Hello, and welcome back uh, to We Are History, where we are talking about the history of dogs. The first animal to be domesticated by humans and still the only species that can do everything from herd sheep to sniff out drugs to act as a guide for the blind. Oh, you'd never get a guide cat for the blind, would you? They'd be like, <laughs> yeah, across a busy road now, whatever. I really couldn't care. <laughs> oh, look, they're dead. I can eat their face now. That's <laughs> so, so we've got to uh, humans are now settled on, you know, yeah. agricultural land. Yeah. Um, they start to breed dogs for specific purposes. Um, and it's thought that the first example of this was in ancient Sumeria, which is modern day southern Iraq. Yeah. And here hounds were bred to chase antelope. And you can see uh, tablets depicting this. Um, they were bred suddenly for speed, short bursts of speed, because wolves had incredible stamina. 
but they wore their prey down. They didn't outpace them. These what's called sight hounds because they sort of spotted the prey. That's your greyhounds, your lurchers, your yeah, all yeah, sorts and of yeah, things to sight hounds, aren't they? Um, yeah. uh, they used their improved vision to spot their prey, and they were bred for deep lung capacity. Think of the chest of a greyhound, um, and they had to be kept on a lead uh, to prevent them suddenly going off in the wrong direction and chasing the wrong animal. You don't want the ancient Sumerians shouting, Fenton! Fenton! Oh, Jesus Christ. Do you remember <laughs> I love that? that video's that so clip. great. Richmond Park, that Fenton! one. Fenton! Fenton, oh, oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but every dog owner felt for him. Oh, God, yeah. Every Just, dog owner Fenton, in the world. Fenton is doing his own thing. That's my, that's, <laughs> so maybe that's, that dates back to ancient Sumeria. But there are skeletal remains of sighthounds from... 3,500 BCE. So after this lot, after the um, uh, sort of Salukis, you got... Uh, the Saluki, my, my dad had a dog that was um, a cross Saluki crossed with a border collie. Oh my God, that must have been leggy. And she was a really yeah. funny looking thing. Like she had the face of a border collie and this Saluki body. Wow. Sort of sleek. And she was really fast, but she would also herd you. Uh, like a sheepdog. Yeah, yeah. So she, yeah, sort of best of both worlds with that Lucia name. Well, she's oh, beautiful. That's... When Jackie was a kid, she had a border collie and they backed onto a primary school. And one day her mum was in the kitchen, heard all this screaming from the playground. And she went to the bottom of the garden. And in the playground, all the kids were in a tight, you know, collective in the middle with she the dog circling them, them. <laughs> she rounded them all up and she was like it's making sure they all stayed in place before the teacher came out well, what's going on could have used her to get time to get the kids in but there we go yeah that's so sweet um, after all that comes the Mastiff breed which uh, they reckon originated in northern India or Tibet and that was used for hunting larger prey such as uh, oxen or bears probably something of a status symbol as well if you had a massive mm. Mastiff you don't spill the pint of a bloke with a bull Mastiff do you absolutely not no. yeah and then the first toy breeds, um, they originated in ancient Egypt. They loved their dogs they in ancient did. Egypt. They, they cats did. as well, didn't they? they yeah, but they dogs. deified the cats, but they didn't deify the dogs. Yeah, they didn't deify the dogs because they were too close to them, maybe. Yeah. And also because cats, they're probably a bit scared of. <laughs> <laughs> we'll worship you because you're terrifying. <laughs> um, they also had pharaoh hounds and Ibethan hounds that sort of survived to this day. Yeah. And they gave their dogs names like Ebony. Grabber and cooking pot, which probably sounds better in ancient Egyptian. Who's a good cooking pot? <laughs> Who's a good cooking pot then? Oh, it's, must have, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Maybe it's because it's the colour of a cooking pot or something. I love like, how with dogs' names, you yeah. sort of elongate them. Yeah. So my, my dog's Tina. Yeah. We never call her Tina. It's always Tina Beena Boo or Tina Wee. <laughs> Tolly Bear, or, we used to say. Tolly yeah, bear. or Tina Bear. Tina Bear, I say tea bag sometimes. Because Lily would do all these things to, Lily, to Tolly. So you start to call her Tolerant Bear. Oh, <laughs> bless. <laughs> yes, but the love between uh, humans and dogs, that's first example of that is in literature, is in um, the Iliad ah. uh, uh, by Homer in uh, ancient Greek literature. Odysseus loved his dog who was waiting for him on his return. I always thought it was a bit of a cheat that when Odysseus gets home from his great voyage and his dog recognises him, he's been away for 20 years. I mean, what dog lives 20 years, Angela? I mean, that's basic editorial. Yeah, that's... Uh, Homer's editor must have been like, this detail here, I'm not really buying it, Homer. And he's... I mean, yeah, humans barely lasted 20 years. <laughs> Back then. I mean, <laughs> I've had many dogs in my life. The record has been 15 years. Um, yeah. But Homer's like, that's crucial to the whole ending. I'm not changing that bit. <laughs> <laughs> the dog has to be there when I get back. 
Um, so the Romans wrote formal instructions of managing dogs, house dogs, shepherd dogs, sporting dogs. Um, and sporting dogs were divided into war dogs, scent yeah. hounds and sight hounds. So all these practical uses of dogs, but pet dogs that look like small spitzes are depicted on Greek vases and an early toy breed similar to the Maltese um, yeah, was familiar the Maltese to Aristotle's readers. Apparently. An epigram in the Greek anthology celebrates the successful whelping of Caliphine, yeah. Caliphine, yeah. Caliphine, um, who was, and I quote, small enough to travel in a lady's handbag. Oh, no. See, wasn't, Paris Hilton didn't start this. Yeah, <laughs> little the, dogs in handbags. It's all the Greeks' fault. Yeah. And putting them on a vase, that's the original doggy selfie. <laughs> yeah, there you right. go. Dogs in bags, actually. There's a thing in New York when I was there that they changed the law on the uh, uh, New York subways, which is that you can only take a dog on the subway if it's in a bag. So people would get these massive blue Ikea bags and cut out four <laughs> holes for their Great Danes. And the Great Dane was standing there going, I feel so embarrassed. Then the, all my other dogs would look at me like I'm an idiot. But it was in a bag. They could say to the inspector, he's in a yeah. bag, so he's allowed and on. And also the other dogs were all in bags as well. Yeah. So they're all just looking at each other like, what is going on here? It's a new cone of shame. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get to the Middle Ages. Well, a big jump. But we get by the Middle Ages, the aristocracy's preoccupation with uh, hunting uh, with hounds gave status to owning dogs and sometimes lower class people were forbidden from keeping dogs and the, the aristocratic monopoly on many forms of hunting with dogs was enforced by law in England from the 11th to the 18th century wow that's a long time it is isn't it? it's most of the, most of the sort of modern yeah. age really there's a rather cruel law actually that said that commoners could only keep dogs if they were literally hamstrung so i.e. Their, ten- oh, their tendons were cut on their legs so that they could not run and therefore chase deer oh. Um, and sometimes dogs will be killed if they belong to commoners who are suspected of using them for hunting. There were public hangings of dogs, Angela. People, oh, people were cruel gosh. in the olden days. Weren't they just? And um, greyhounds, they often appear on coats of arms. Yeah. So it's, the hounds were often housed better than the peasant population. Yeah, yeah. If a hound was ill, they were sent on a religious pilgrimage and have candles lit for them. Ah, yeah, there was a belief among the upper class that hunting was with dogs developed courage and leadership and even at the turn of the 20th century when there were 230 packs of foxhounds uh, hunting regularly in britain in 1906 it was written our bravest soldiers have been fox hunters our most successful men in almost every walk of commerce have had their characters molded in the hunting field yeah and there are plenty of people in the countryside who still think like oh, that God. But, yeah 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 um spaniels also start to emerge as a breed and they would flush birds from flight so they'd be could be caught by a hawk. So before we were shooting game birds, we were using falcons to bring them down. Yeah, there's a portrait of a spaniel in Dura's Madonna and Child with a multitude of animals. I actually looked this up. They said it was a spaniel. It looked like sort of a miniature lion or something, if I'm honest. It's probably a cockapoo, Angela. Probably uh, was. <laughs> in Shakespeare's time, there's a quote I remembered from Macbeth because I couldn't remember quotes from only the Shakespeare plays I did at A-level. But um, yeah. <laughs> the first murderer says, we are men, my liege. And Macbeth says, I in the catalogue ye go for men, as hounds and greyhounds, mongrels, spaniels, curs, shuffs, water rugs, and Debbie wolves are clipped all by the name of dogs. So it shows you how many dogs uh, there were back then and what different attitudes they all had. What, what's what's a shuff? I had to look that up. It's a sort of lap dog, apparently. I, produce, I don't know how it's oh, pronounced. Okay. Shuff, shuff, show, show, shoe. Could be. Shoe, shoe. Maybe, let, maybe, it, maybe Lady Macbeth, Macbeth kept one in her handbag. I don't know. Or Lady Macduff, because then it'd be Lady Macduff's shuff. <laughs> that's, 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 Maybe she kept one in her muff. 
Lady Macduff keeps a shop in her mouth. That's all. That's think? all from We Are History. John Fowler is resigning <laughs> now. <laughs> Come on, that was good on the fly. <laughs> good on the fly. Yeah, Lady Macduff <laughs> kept a shop in her mouth. Shopping. If it was a, a moody shuff, it'd be Lady Macduff kept a shuff in a huff in her muff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I could go on forever. <laughs> this is gold what dust. Else you got? Ladies and gentlemen, Eating that's my time. Duff. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did do poetry, Shakespeare. <laughs> Shakespeare did do poetry, but I don't think the sonnets are really about what dog that Lady Macduff kept down her knickers. <laughs> Not that. Muff. John. You said muff. A muff is a thing ladies oh. put their hands oh, in. It depends what you want. So now she's pretending you to be all innocent. There. You went straight to that sort of muff. I didn't even cross my <laughs> innocent mind, you're you from, filthy you're man. From no, it honestly didn't. My goodness me. She kept her muff uh, in her oh, mouth. Oh, yeah, you know, okay, the, okay. You put, I can yeah, unclick the... John O'Farrell. I'll unclick the explicit button on the uh, podcast settings. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to so, dogs, Angela. Let's get back to, yeah, let's <laughs> leave Terriers. Lady Duff's muff alone. Um, so the next group to emerge were terriers, earth dogs from terre, French for earth, obviously. They dug out animals, vermin, rats, or the foxes um, that killed the poultry, or yeah. they might dig out an animal that would be then chased by a hound. Yeah, and obviously they were bred to be smaller and and be really yappy when your neighbour takes them out at <laughs> night when you've got to sleep. What? I'm just talking generally here. I'm not yeah, talking no, about specific no in Clapham. particular axe to grind. No, no neighbour of mine has got yappy dogs at midnight. No. <laughs> so in Britain, at least... Sheep dogs emerge in the middle of the 16th century. Um, and this was a form of dog ownership that was not limited to the elite. Uh, they were exported around the empire in the 19th century. They herded ostriches in Cape Colony in South Africa. Um, today they're used for driving Canada geese off golf courses. Uh, different parts of Europe and the world develop their own sheep dogs, their yeah. own types of sheep dog. And then the, the, um, we yeah. have obviously our. Border Collies use now, but yeah. have the lovely old English sheepdogs, the old Dulux dogs. Do you know, that's not a sheepdog. That's called a sheepdog because of the fur was used to make Oh, wool. I yeah. just assumed it. Well, there yeah. you go. See, yeah. I know my dogs, actually. Actually, that makes sense because yeah. it is Very fluffy, woolly, aren't it? isn't yeah. it? And, and also, it doesn't look particularly agile. No, it's not. I can't imagine them, you know, rounding up, rounding up paint tins, maybe, but rounding up sheep, not so much. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, some dogs were developed as draft animals to pull sledges or carts. There's a dog called Newfoundland. I don't know if you have any interest oh, in... Oh, I've never that. heard of them. No. Do you know anything about this breed? I don't know where they're from. It's a place off Canada, apparently. Uh, or maybe it's yeah, in South America. It's Newfoundland in Anyone Cornwall. Anyone who's not listened before, if you're starting on this podcast, you won't know what we're talking about. But um, yeah, I think I, Newfoundland's in Wales or somewhere. Anyway. Sure, uh, and, John. <laughs> anyway, Newfoundlands were developed to drag sledges. Um, they were cheaper than horses. They didn't require separate stables. You keep them in the home. They were almost as big as horses, though. Have you met yeah. any Newfoundland? Yeah. They're enormous. I remember once, lying, I was with my friend. We were in um, uh, a park somewhere in London. I can't remember which one. And we were, both of us were wearing black tops. Oh, yeah. And we were, it was a lovely sunny day. And we were lying down. We'd had a picnic. We were just sort of lying down, soaking up the rays. And suddenly these two Newfoundlands, two. just massive, bounded over to us. And we didn't see them until they were on top of us. <laughs> And like, and they were just being friendly. They were really lovely, but they were they sort of pinned us down. Aww. And then the owner came and called them off and was really apologetic. We were like, "Oh no, it's fine." They were just being friendly. But then when they went, we were just covered because we were wearing these black tops in just drool. Oh, they it do drool. Disgusting. They do dribble. 
Oh, oh and on a black top as well. You can, uh, it's like, yeah. we look like we've been in a Bukaki film, John. <laughs> it was horrible. Well, now you've lowered the tone. Don't, if you don't know what that means, don't Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are terrible droolers. I remember Clive Anderson used to have one and... Um, uh, God, it is like constant sort of cloth, and they, they have napkins around their necks quite often just to keep catching the drool. Uh, but that's way that's one of the things about them is that they were bred for these things, like um, working, uh, pulling things out of the water in in yeah. Canada, um, and working in the snow. But then when you have the registration of dogs and they become show dogs they are then bred to look handsome and stout and majestic and it's a, they, mm. they're bred to change and that's uh yeah. that's affected the breed in the long term um yeah that's well, happened with so many yeah, breeds that yeah, hasn't it yeah uh what else have um, we got got guide dogs they go back further than you'd imagine so there's a reference to a blind man led by his dog dates back to the middle of the 16th century right uh, and they're also mentioned in dickens christmas Carol. yeah so i sponsor a guide dog actually i i Basically, I do it for the postcards of Labrador puppies. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, the charity's spelling is terrible. I keep getting pup dates. Pup dates. I was thinking of writing to them about this recurring typo. But... <laughs> um, in English... Come on, John, as if you don't love a pun. Uh... Come on. <laughs> in the English Civil War, the, the Puritans hated the fact that Prince Rupert had a white poodle. And it would sit with him during meetles and he'd turn to kiss it during discussions. Sorry, sorry, John, do you realise what you no. just said? What did I say? <laughs> you said, I think we should keep that in because it was really cute. You said that it would sit with him during meetles. Oh, and he'd turn to kiss it uh, during the discussions. Uh, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'm saying that in case my husband listens to this podcast because he thinks it's disgusting that I let the dog kiss me. Oh. Um, so for some reason, the whole family were into their little dogs. You had Cavalier King Charles. It was a while after we got our new king that I stopped saying King Charles Spaniel. Um, <laughs> the Puritans actually expected... King Charles Spaniel, or as um, uh, Dara O'Brien on What the Week keeps calling King Charles, no, King Prince Charles. King Prince Charles. <laughs> king Prince Charles. <laughs> the Puritans actually suspected that Prince Rupert's dog was wealth of a malignant water witch. But that's probably just oh. a kennel name. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah in England dogs would pull carts for people who couldn't afford a horse but in 1839 the use of cart dogs was made illegal it was thought to be cruel but the Times wrote an editorial asking what was to become of all those mastiffs that have been employed and have now lost their jobs will they hang disconsolately around the corners of butchers shops they wrote Oh, there was bull baiting of course you want to say do you know what bull baiting yeah bull baiting um, bulldogs bred to attack bulls for public entertainment yeah uh, recorded in 1604 in London. Bulldogs were the first dogs I fell in love with. I had, really? When I was, I was I was about five or six, and somebody bought me this book, and it was like a colour photo book of puppies. Oh. And had all these different breeds and puppies. I don't think I've still got it. It's a shame. It's a beautiful book. And uh, But the bulldog puppy was so cute, because it had all the like wrinkles, oh. and uh, so it was so cute. And I just fell in love with bulldogs. Oh. But... They're such, um, I love a bulldog, but I'm really allergic to them. And and also, you know, they're so, they're bred with so many problems. They are. In fact, they have been bred, they've been recreated to look like what they think, you know, bulldogs were like back then, because they sort of became extinct, the bulldogs yeah. uh, that were, were used for bull baiting. They had to have, they had all their aggression uh, bred out of them. And, um, yeah. but their sort of squashed face and distorted features uh, is sort of uh, an exaggeration of what they thought they looked back looked like back in the Tudor era now they're 
they sort of have all these breathing problems. Don't get a bulldog, people. Don't get a pug. Yeah, get dogs that really, don't have breathing problems. Um, but really bulldog, sad. bulldog, yeah, bulldog was recorded in London in the uh, Jacobean era. Birmingham's bull ring gets its name from where bull baiting happened. They used to put pepper up the bull's nose to make it angry. Uh, it was quite a horrible spectacle, Gosh. quite cruel. It wasn't banned by Parliament until 1835, um, which is wow. you know, quite late. It was during the Victorian era that so many of our familiar breeds emerge. Yeah, they didn't worry too much today in the Victorian era about the sort of principles and scruples of no. over-breeding over breeding or over, yeah, yeah. over refining. The Golden Retriever yeah. was developed by Sir Dudley Marjorie Banks on his um, what a name on his Scottish estate. Gordon setters were associated with the Duke of Gordon, and there were other breeds developed by the Earl of Puggle and Lord Mini Golden Doodle. <laughs> but a huge increase in dog breeds in the 19th century. Middle classes could have a pet dog at last. And the idea of ordinary families having a pet dog, you know, the Fox Terrier or the Jack Russell, is a fairly modern idea. Um, before the Industrial Revolution, ordinary peasants couldn't really afford a dog. And I suppose, you know, during that time of the Industrial Revolution, Peasants just were only at home to sleep, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. You worked working in the factories the all day, and yes. Yeah, and after the Industrial Revolution, people were in the factories for so long, couldn't get doggy daycare. Possible. The other thing I'd say is that the Christian Church had traditionally discouraged friendship with dogs on the grounds that God cared only for people who have souls and moral sense. But I am telling you, Pope Francis, my Tolly had a soul and moral sense, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Too right. They definitely anyone who says a dog doesn't have a soul has never met a dog. <laughs> They're such unique individual personalities, and um, I mean the moral sense. Well, that could be flexible. They know when they're doing wrong. The... Though. They know if they're. <laughs> oh like... no, they do. They, you know, you're right. They absolutely do. Like taking the cheese Tina, off the table. Tina, her thing you know. is. Well, Tina's more. Um, she's obsessed with toys and balls, particularly. Right. And she knows, like, you know, her ball, she's allowed. But when she pinches another dog's ball in the park, she knows damn well that that's not her ball and she's not supposed to have it. That's funny. Yeah, and they feel yeah, a guilty they do look. know. You're right. But anyway. Yeah, to, then to, she sort of looks at you like, are you going to tell me off? Uh, to treat a dog like a human was, was to blur the divinely ordained distinction. And it was seen as yeah. indulgent or frivolous to have a pet dog that didn't earn its keep. They all earn their keep with love, ah, John. That's what well I say. Hmm. That's yes. all from talk for the day. <laughs> so attitudes to dogs changed in the 19th century uh, the victorians were a sentimental lot in many ways when they weren't being unbelievably cruel um, and this idea that dogs were dumb animals with no feelings or emotion was clearly contradicted by the evidence under everyone's nose yeah think, think that painting the old shepherd's chief mourner by sir edwin landseer with a dog you know, with a sad little collie with his lap, Aww. his head on the uh, coffin, I think it is. Um, and there all the Victorians sobbed over that. Um, yeah. Battersea Home for Lost and Starving Dogs was founded in 1860. It's funny, though, is that they probably founded homes for lost and starving dogs and then they put humans in workhouses. <laughs> That's true. It's true. I can't imagine <laughs> it was that nice at Battersea back then. It's lovely now. It's just down the probably road. Probably better it. than a workhouse. Yes. Um, but the rise of the Victorian middle classes meant there was, you know, there was a, someone at home and a sufficient spare cash and owning a dog as a pet became a sort of possibility and a status symbol. Yeah. And of course, there's the story of old Greyfriars Bobby that caught the public imagination. Yes. A little shaggy terrier uh, who became a cult hero after his master died in Edinburgh and he was buried in Greyfriars churchyard. Bobby didn't look for a new home, but he stayed around that churchyard instead for 14 years, Aww. living on handouts from local shopkeepers and publicans. 
Um, and journalists wrote increasingly sentimental accounts of his vigil. And in the end, they erect a bronze statue to him, which is still there. Aww. And his little nose is Aww. rubbed off. I see it every year when I'm in Edinburgh. Yeah, they're people touch, give a little, little touch. Ah, oh, sweet. Yeah. Kennel Club yeah. was formed in 1873. UK has the oldest kennel club in the world. It was created by C. Wallace E. Shirley. It's a good name. He set the standard. Sounds like a kennel club name. <laughs> it was. He was. He was out of. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, set the standard for dog breeds and the rules for the dog shows. The first annual all breed show was produced by Charles Cruft in 1891. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which he, uh, which was immodestly named, obviously. He ran it for 45 <laughs> years until his death in 1938, and after that it was taken over by the kennel club. But as I said about Newfoundlands, you know, all these dogs, the suddenly bulldogs or um, uh, Newfoundlands, they were bred for show rather than work. And oh, that started yeah. to affect the dogs and, you know, start to get hip dysplasia and all sorts of dodgy illnesses to which specific breeds uh, were prone. But there was a strong yeah. sense in the Victorian time that uh, a thoroughbred was infinitely superior in every way to a mongrel. That sort of slightly dodgy eugenics ideas were leaking into the dog world as an example yeah. from uh, the book of lassie in page 166 which i'll read you now uh, um when La when lassie is attacked by two ordinary working dogs in the course of her journey she vanquished them despite her exhaustion because she had blood she was a purebred dog and behind her were long generations of the proudest and best of her kind where the mongrel dog will whine and slink away the purebred will stand with uncomplaining fearlessness so that's uh, that idea yeah. that good blood um and then british dogs were better than uh foreign dogs let me uh, well naturally because this bit here i'll read you this as well um in the Times, the difference of the Irish from the English dog. In England, a comparatively honest and justice-loving land, the canine race bark <laughs> at the thief. But in the Sister Isle, they give warning of the approach of the police. The number of worthless dogs in Ireland is prodigious, one or more of them being kept at every cabin. Being half-starved at home since the failure of the potatoes, they go prowling over the country at night in search of food, killing sheep. Like, My God, what book's up for? This is from, that's from the Times in, um, back in 1864. Um, wow. It's pretty racist, isn't it? Um, wow. But I think a breed of dog has always said something about you. What sort of dog you have? A, oh, yeah. What sort of dog if you've you got have. a chocolate Labrador, you're a Tory. <laughs> it does. I, can't, I couldn't have a chocolate Labrador because it just has, I mean, I'm sure lots of nice lefty people were listening have chocolate Labradors. Uh, but for me, it just has that, I imagine a barber jacket and green wellies. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so funny a chihuahua is like you think a chihuahua not a truck driver but yeah. having said that my my um lovely friend phil gerard who sadly passed away last year was a brilliant comedian but had the look of a truck driver like he was a big man with a big beard quite often wore a trucker's cap but he had a chihuahua called burt reynolds yeah in fact burt reynolds is um tina's best mate he came for a, a sleepover the other night little chihuahua chihuahua's called but burt said, reynolds I love the way you just yeah. mentioned and, that in passing. Like, it's not a ridiculous yeah, name for a chihuahua. And, and um, Phil used to sort of walk him around Brighton, this chihuahua, and get quite a lot of funny looks. He's just this big, funny. bearded bloke. Uh, Reynolds, a, you Reynolds. Know. Reynolds. Uh, but, come back. My friend, uh, oh, he's lovely. My friend Julie Morrison, the writer, she had a, um, a border collie that really loved me because I always gave it lots of attention. And on the beach, um, she would never come to its name. And the, But if she went John O'Farrell, the dog would come running back. So she would stand on Southwold <laughs> Beach going, John O'Farrell, John O'Farrell. People were looking around <laughs> like she was calling me. 
<laughs> she called the dog John O'Farrell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, dear. I but love yeah. when, when dogs do respond to particular... So, funny enough, Tolly, bless her, isn't the only one of my friend's dogs that's passed away this week. Oh. My, um, my friend Jen, who's one of my closest friends from school, her, she's got had a beautiful lurcher called Basil. Oh. And Basil um, would... He was about the same age as Tolly, actually, 13, 14, I think, and he passed away this week. And uh, but Basil had this thing; his ears were always down. Yeah. But unless you said the phrase "jacket potato," and if you said "jacket," <laughs> no other phrase. But if you said "jacket potato," his ears would just that's hilarious bounce up. It was really that's weird. That's weird. How do you find these so things out? Whenever I eat a jacket potato, I think of Basil. Oh, lovely Basil. Yeah. Sorry, Basil. Sorry, lovely Jim. Basil. But yeah. Um, yeah, breeds breeds for different types of people. I think there are middle class breeds, working class breeds. Masculine mm. breeds, feminine breeds. There's traditional greeting cards back in the day. They'd have for boys, a young boy would have a dog, and for girls, it would have a little kitten. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and um, but I mean, and and as all these breeds were evolving, some were artificially recreated. So there were legends of the Irish Wolfhound, but there were no Irish Wolfhounds. Mm. And so they took the Scottish yeah. Deerhound and they tried to recreate what they thought the Irish Wolfhound may have looked like. And so that's a modern reinvention of something that was in literature they in Ireland really long ago. really played around with genetics yeah. with dogs, isn't it? Yeah. I would have done the same with humans had they been <laughs> given the yeah. opportunity. Um, in the First World War, dogs were used as messengers and the Red Cross used dogs to deliver medicine and bottles of water. And it wasn't until the Second World War that the American army started using dogs, but they had 30,000 of them. That's amazing, isn't it? I've got to read you the story of yeah. Chips uh, from this book. Chips. Chips and his handler were approaching an apparently innocuous grass-covered hut. A machine gun opened fire. Immediately, Chips broke loose and ran to the hut, trailing his leash. Moments later, the machine gun fire stopped and an Italian soldier appeared with Chips slashing and biting at his arms and throat. Three soldiers followed with their arms raised in surrender. By himself, the dog had overpowered four armed men. Chips was awarded the Silver Star and the Purple Heart for a wound in his scalp. Good old chips. Aww. So these, these, this is great use in propaganda as well. Of course, if you're sort of, you know, trying to get the uh, population at home, you know, mostly Hearts engaged. Hearts and minds, they love the dog. Yeah, they do. There's a, there's a one of the Lassie yeah. films actually. I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of the Lassie films, Lassie is Laddie. He goes off to war, and then he comes back, and he goes mad in chicken coop and attacks all the chickens, and he's put on trial. And in the climax of the film, the judge gives a speech saying. Our boys have been out there in Japan. They've been out there in Europe. They've seen some terrible things. And they're going to come back and they're going to be damaged and they're going to be upset. And if they get into fights, you've got to, you've got to cut them some slack and understand what they've been through. Laddie, case dismissed. And everyone cheers. So Laddie, wow. it's a really good, really good sort of conclusion. Laddie gets PTSD. Laddie had PTSD and was let off um, all the things he'd done because he'd been under enemy fire in the war. So wow. it's a good lesson. And that was a way of, yeah, yeah. way of getting that yeah. story. Oh, God, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Then, of course, after the war, you get the world's first space dog. Yes. Um, Laika was a Mongol off the streets of Moscow. She's now one of the most famous dogs in the world. Yeah. Uh, she became the first dog in space. who was sent up into orbit in 1957. And they didn't worry, John, about little details like bringing her back down again. No. Um, so all the Russian scientists were thinking, that's amazing. We made a dog orbit planet Earth. And everyone else was thinking, you bastards. <laughs> Poor little Laika just sent into space to die on her own. Oh, but, if... Um, but if it's any consolation, Laika, you did get your own stamp. Ah, oh, so, oh, it does. It does. Because you just you think, imagine the loneliness of Laika, the confusion. What's oh happening? God, I don't know. I don't, I can't, I don't like thinking she's about it. She's blowing her nose. And, she's and... not a cold. She's crying. 
sorry. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah. It's yeah. That why did it have to be a dog? Oh, I know. It's because yeah, but uh, she was a mongrel off the streets. But yeah, why couldn't they get it down again? Actually, and there was uh, no yeah. one would criticize it in public in Russia. But after Glasnost and Perestroika, uh, one of the scientists involved. Uh, gave um, his account and said we felt really bad that we couldn't bring Leica back down again and we really wanted to so we just yeah. we couldn't criticise the programme at the time so of that's course, the that's we, that's yeah. the totalitarianism for you dogs die in space yeah yeah so we get to the post-war world a dog is a symbol of settled happy family and politicians would be photographed with their dogs kissing babies holding dogs don't yeah, get that yeah. the wrong way around yeah <laughs> uh. Richard Nixon had a spaniel, Checkers. Yes. Harold Wilson had Paddy. Labrador. Gerald Ford had Liberty. Golden Retriever. <laughs> Reagan had Rex, Cavalier King Charles. <laughs> yes. And Obama won his first term without a dog and then used his victory speech to tell the girls they were getting a puppy. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> what breed was it, Angela? Do you remember? Oh, I can't remember. He's got allergies, you see, Barrett. Oh, so was it a, a, a cockapoo? No, it was a Portuguese or water a dog. doodle. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, okay. they're lovely dogs, actually. I've seen one on the common. Um, but one... Of course it was. I have seen it. Yeah, yeah. they've got the sort of black, like black really dogs. unusual fur. fur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one change as a dog owner all my life, one major change I've seen in our lifetime is, this, this is where it gets really uh, nice to think about, is our attitude to dog shit. So, oh, sorry if you're eating your dinner yeah, while listening to this. <laughs> but it used to be perfectly normal in my lifetime to let your dog crap in the park and just leave it there. Everyone did it. Uh. And we all trod on dog shit on a regular basis. And that was just, like, accepted. Yeah, I do remember, like, as a kid, always having dog shit on my shit. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember taking my dog to Battersea Park in the 80s. That would have been Bowie. Bowie, the Labrador Cross. And um, this, these two ladies said, excuse me, we're giving out these bags, these polythene bags, to pick up your dog mess. And we were like, me and Jackie were both like, what? Pick it up? Are you mad? Are you crazy? Uh. What am I going to do with that? Walk around with a bag of shit? We thought they were nuts. But now, of course, it only took about, over a period of about one decade, everyone did a complete about turn. And now we all feel really strongly that you should pick up your dog shit. But it's yeah. what a bit of campaigning and a change in social attitudes can do, uh, that we yeah. all live in much more, we have far more dogs now than we've ever had before, but far less dog shit in the park. Yeah. It's quite interesting the situations that can lead to, because I was um, walking Tina once, and, and you know what it's like when you pick up the shit and then you've got like to wait till you get to the next bin. Yeah, yeah. So you are, there is a period of time when you're walking around just yeah, carrying yeah. a bag of shit. And um, and I was walking down the street and I heard this voice say, hello, Angela. And I turned around and it was the controller of Radio 4 Extra um, <laughs> who lives in Brighton yeah. as well. And I didn't know him that well at the time. And I just started hosting Newsjack, I think. I was yeah. just about to. And so he was like my new big boss. Right. And I just stood there having this entire conversation with him. And I was sort of gesticulating. And I suddenly was aware that I was just flinging around a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh what's sorry about, about this. this. <laughs> yeah. oh, people... I didn't even have the dog with me, John. No. Who are the, who are the people who hang them on trees? That's what I don't know. That should be a capital offence. People who well, go for a walk in the what... countryside, put it on a tree. Apparently what they do, and I, I've seen it in action, because I used to see, there was one place when we walk up at Devil's Dyke yeah. with Tina in Brighton, there's this one tree where it always have loads of dog shit bags hung on it. Yeah. But apparently what they do, they hang it there, go for the walk, and then come back, pick it up uh, and put it in the bin on the way back to the car. Sure. And I have seen them do that, but I'm not sure that's all. They don't always the remember to pick it up is all I'm saying. So some yeah, trees have this yeah. lovely harvest, these fruits of dog poo yes. bags on them. It's like surreal. Absolutely. Yeah, anyway, enough about dog poo. Um, yeah, let's, actually, let's move on yeah. that. So there's been a, a huge upsurge in the popularity of dogs. First, the craze for crossbreeds. 
Um, and then the lockdown meant that millions of people were stuck at home and lots of bored people decided to get a dog, which I think was worrying. Yes, they um, they didn't remember the old adage that a dog is for life, not just for lockdown. Just for lockdown, <laughs> no. And also that, you know, because lots of people, I've worked from home now, I can do that. It's like, yeah, but you're going to have to go back to work one day. And when you buy a dog in lockdown, they're not getting socialised, you know. So the most important thing when you bring a puppy home is it meeting other people and other dogs. And so when you've got a dog, I've seen some dogs with real anxiety issues now because they had two years with their owners and no one else in their lives and then suddenly they're abandoned at home uh, or, you know, sent to doggy daycare where they've not been socialised with other dogs and things. It's really sad. Yeah, and now there are more dogs need rehoming uh, than ever before. Currently 13 million dogs in the UK, the most there's ever been. Um, so it's been a very long journey for the wolves, hanging around outside the caves, uh, hoping for a discarded bone. Lily showed me this, my daughter yeah. Lily showed me this uh, funny cartoon where a wolf is outside a cave and saying, if I, maybe I could just get a, a scrap of food from those humans. What the worst, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Cut forward 30,000 years to Paris Hilton's dog in a handbag with a little pink tiara on and a little bow tie. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's the journey of dogs over the past 20, 30,000 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's a domestication of other species that really transformed the human's future, right? To work with other animals to make up for our deficiencies, the things we can't do with speed or strength. That's what made humans rise up above other species. Yeah. We use other animals for those purposes. And it all began with dogs. They were the first animal to be domesticated. The only carnivore. Unless you count that time my pet hamster ate all its babies. Did it? Oh, lovely. <laughs> but so dogs, thank you. Thank you, dogs, for your companionship over the past 20, 30,000 years. Thank you, Tolly, for keeping me company for the past 13, nearly 14 years. And this episode is very much dedicated to all dogs, but especially to Tolly, the Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. Did I remember that right, John? She's a what, mate? Are you sure she's not a Collie Cross? A Collie Cross. <laughs> I wrote this thing. I wrote this thing that I put on uh, Twitter about memories of my dog. Go on there if you want to read it. Uh, Angela. Had it is water- lovely. She had waterproof mascara on. I did. I was reading it in public and I'm just glad I had waterproof mascara on when I read that. Oh. It's very touching. Yeah, it was Poor um Polly. it was um sudden sudden departure of our dog, but I'm just trying to concentrate on all the fun we had with her and all the swims she had in the Thames and all the long walks we had. Uh so that's oh. all from We Are History. Yes, indeed. Can I um use this opportunity, John? Yes. It occurred to me that I should have done this in the last few episodes yes. because I'm going on tour oh, yeah, and tickets yeah. are very much on sale and I suddenly thought oh yeah there's a uh, quite a few thousand people listen to this that I haven't plugged my tour to um, so yeah if you want to come and see me do stand up on tour it starts in February next year there are about 20 dates on sale at the moment there are more to come so if I'm not coming to where you are right now that doesn't mean I'm not coming to where you are so keep an eye out uh, my website is angelabarnescomedy.co.uk Uh, where there are links to all the tickets on there. And also, if you want to, you can sign up to my mailing list and then I will send out an email when more dates go on sale. But I don't spam. I only let you know when, you know, things are actually happening. Yeah, Um, sounds good. So, yeah, do do come and see me on tour. I'll try and see you there. The show's called Hot Mess. Hot Mess. I haven't seen it yet, but I know a lot of the stuff in it because we've shared it. And uh, I'm going to try and go along to every one and then interrupt Angela every all the way through one. and just talk over her punchlines and sort of... Uh, just to make me feel at yeah, her. To say, oh, that was your bit then. No, I thought I was doing that bit. Yeah. 
uh, just so that she feels like she's on the podcast. But that's all for We Are History. Um, give us uh, nice reviews. Uh, give us five stars. Share it with your yeah, friends. Yeah, that Follow us on Twitter at We Are History Pod. And we're now going to play out with Pete Shelley playing Love Me, Love My Dog. But, but fade my microphone down because I might be snivelling and looking at pictures of my dear departed dog. Freedom Good night, Tolly. Heading to a highway, Californian skyways lead us where we want to stay. Suddenly, a summer breeze breaks a misty morning. There's a new day dawning. We better be on our town today Lord you know I'll miss you Baby I won't kiss you You'd only make me want to stay Though it's hard to say goodbye Can't you see it's over Guess we'll have to move on out for blame.